0: really excited about this morning's message um, just because uh, of how fun the timing is. This has been a fun one for pretty much the whole week. Um, and this is kind of common here. Uh, I can't tell you how many times Judy and I have talked after a service about how well um, the songs fit the content of the message. And I would love to tell you that I'm like put together well enough to do that on purpose. But <laughs> let's be real. Um, I think Judy would love it if I would tell her on Monday like the, what the message is going to be about, so she could pick her songs around it, but um, that's just not the way it works. Um, I usually have no idea what I'm going to say until I actually sit down and get into the text and like study and write um, and and uh and, but like this morning I've known you know for a while now I was going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. I kind of made an outline for the series uh but if you had asked me Monday what direction I was going with that, not a clue. No clue. I just knew that I was going to study about this and see what God said to us. Um, and so uh uh all that to say, the uh when it comes to preaching here, we don't have like a master plan, um, which is a little weird because we do have a preaching cycle. We kind of have a preaching calendar. We celebrate Advent. Then there's kind of a short space between Advent and Lent that's perfect for a short series. Um, and then I usually, we do Lent and then I settle into a long summer series that brings us around to the Saint series and back to Advent. Like I, I kind of know going into the year how the calendar is going to work. Um, and yet any given sermon, I don't have a clue until I sit down to study what we're actually going to talk about, which is a little stressful sometimes. Cause I kind of say, you know, this is the series we're doing and I don't really know how that series is going to go. I don't know where we're going to wind up. Um, we just kind of, uh, trust the Holy Spirit to lead us, um, which is cool um, because then we get to see how God puts everything together. And usually when we look back, it's kind of neat how it how it all fit. Uh, I do know um, that we're going to lean in for a year to, to this idea of core strength. I felt when I was praying like God gave me this word, core strength um, for this year. And uh, so we're we're uh, we're kicking off with the Apostles' Creed. Um, this kind of year of fundamentals. Um, and I had no idea going into Lent how it was going to fit. Um, but, uh, spoiler, I now do, and I'm super excited. Um, that's getting, that's going to be fun. But my favorite thing about this is kind of the way the Holy Spirit just directs our messages and our music and what we do. And, and it all just seems to work out. It's, it's really fun to look back and see how it all fits together. Um, well, this one is one of those weeks, uh, because I spent the entire, um, week reading about and studying and meditating on the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, um, and when I wasn't doing that, I was basically reading and watching videos and trying to stay caught up on what's going on in Asbury. And honestly, like 12 or 14 other colleges around the country now. Um, I think Samford with an N, not Stanford, but Samford is, is on like uh, five or seven days that they've been in chapel. Um, if you don't know what's going on, Asbury College, um, about a week and a half ago, uh, they just had a normal chapel service. Um and it was a good presentation of the gospel. I actually listened to the message that kind of kicked the whole thing off. And it was a good presentation of the gospel, but not like a Jonathan Edwards barn burner. Like it wasn't anything crazy. It was a pretty casual um, uh, chapel service. And about 30 or 40 kids hung around afterwards just to kind of pray together um, and uh, and worship a little bit longer. And those 30 or 40 kids just stayed for a couple hours and uh, a few hours later, it was like 100, 150 kids, um, and by that evening, the 1,500-seat chapel was packed, and everybody was standing in the edges. And um, that was not this last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before, and it hasn't ended yet. They're still there. Um, uh, they're uh, this just kind of ongoing, rolling worship service, and so now that has broken out in um, in several other colleges. And I will say this, there's now thousands of people flocking to these towns, um, especially Asbury, to kind of participate and experience what's happening. So it's taken on a very different flavor from, from where it started. I listened to uh, an interview with several of the professors um, at Asbury, and and the one that, um, that I listened to first said that uh, it's now, he admitted, it's now quite a bit different than when it first started. It's still amazing what God is doing. Um uh, it was actually funny listening to him because you could see, uh, kind of the tension that was going on in his heart and mind. Uh, he was talking about the thousands of people who have called, um, to ask questions and, and all the professional musicians who have offered their time to come lead worship and just like the college is getting bombarded with people from the outside. <clears throat> and he said he keeps telling people not to come. Like, uh, he's like, the Holy Spirit can move anywhere. Like, you don't have to come here. Do this where you are. Like dig in and worship where you are. You don't have to come here. And then he goes, But I also have to confess that when I'm talking to like my closest friends and family, I'm like, You've got to come experience this. You've got to get here. Like like he's like theologically I know that, but I also know when you walk in that room it's something's different. Like it's just different and I wish everybody could experience it. Um and uh and then he tells kind of the interviewer, you know uh, also that um, the college is trying to keep things normal. He's like, we're still having classes. You know, we believe that any move of God also has to fit into normal life. And so we're, we're trying to, as much as possible, keep things normal. So we're still holding classes. We're still holding rehearsals and practices and all the things. And then he's like, but... The second one of us professors doesn't have anything going on, we like sprint to the chapel just to be in there. You know, so it's a, he's like, it's a weird dynamic. It's, it's, it's a weird tension to sit in, but, um, but, uh, but whatever's happening at Asbury, whatever it kind of becomes or morphs into, um, it's really clear that it started with some college kids at a Christian school doing what college kids at a Christian school do. They went to chapel. It wasn't anything, Planned or anything. Uh, uh The professor I was talking to said that um, what really kind of indicated for a lot of kids that it was something real was was some of the kids in the chapel that were texting their friends like "You got to get here." weren't the typical like all in on fire kids. These are the cynical kids and the and the kids that were struggling and the the kids that. Um, <sighs> he explained it as the kids that were just. <laughs> Shoot, watching this all week, my heart has been like right here all week, so this is going to be a tough one. He said, the kids that are living under that darkness that just seems to be prevalent right now, those kids that are just struggling with all of the angst and all of the fear, and all, he was like, those were the kids going, you have got to get to chapel. And when that kid texts you and says, you got to get here, you're like, that's not the kind of kid that does that. Like, And so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Come on! Ah, whatever's happening, it wasn't planned. It wasn't manipulated. It wasn't expected. It wasn't contrived. In short, um, it's it's been a, a sovereign act of the Holy Spirit, um, which has been really fun timing for me to get to track and read about and watch videos on all week long, um, as I've been kind of preparing a message on the function and role of the Holy Spirit. And so this has been a really um, kind of exciting week for me. Um, this is our final week in a series we're calling um, we've called I believe um, and and next week we'll start into a series we're titling I promise um, and I'm super uh excited about that one. Uh but so far we've covered article 1 of the creed I believe in God the father almighty <laughs> father almighty creator of heaven and earth excuse me um, and we studied article 2 I believe in Jesus Christ his only son our lord who was conceived by the holy spirit born of the virgin mary suffered under pontius pilate was crucified died and was buried he descended to the dead on the 3rd day he rose again he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the father and he will come again to judge the living and the dead and last week we discovered uh, or we we discussed the relational aspect of the holy spirit which is that he is the very breath of god Um, And I'm not smart enough to really talk about the Holy Spirit metaphysically. Like, what is the Holy Spirit? I can't really do that. Other than to say um, that the word breath is incredibly intimate. Um, The Nicene Creed states that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son and lives in us, inhaled and exhaled. um, And it's hard to get more intimate than that. Um, But the main idea that we leaned into last week is that this presence of the Holy Spirit, especially the fact that the Holy Spirit is the person of the Godhead that we have access to and that we have uh, experience with and live with, um, all indicates that our relationship with God is much more than a worldview. Um, It's much more than a belief system. It's much more than a bunch of facts that we agree with. Um, Our relationship with God is supposed to be as intimate as breathing each other's breath. Um, And as people who spent a year being forced to wear masks and avoid people, we're kind of acutely aware of the intimacy involved, involved in breathing, um, how much closer you feel to somebody um, when you drop the math and just kind of breathe each other's air. Um, so last week, our our main point was that the Holy Spirit is in us. The relational aspect of the Holy Spirit is as close as we could ever imagine, um, which brings us to today's message about the function of the Holy Spirit, and I'm pretty Stoked about that. Um, I teased last week about the structure of the Apostles' Creed and how powerful it is. Um, First, it's Trinitarian, um, which I think is important. Um, The Trinity is really hard to comprehend, um, and I'm not sure we're supposed to. Um, For me, I've kind of placed it firmly in the category of a divine mystery um, that I believe, I worship, I occasionally meditate on, but I don't try to cheapen it by describing it, even to myself. Um, I think it just makes it smaller than it is. Um, But it's important to note that as far back as the earliest believers, um, in order to be baptized into the faith, you were asked to to believe in, to credo the Father, Um, I believe in and credo the Son, and I believe in and credo the Holy Spirit. The earliest believers were Trinitarian. Um, So believing in the triune God goes back as far as anything in the Christian faith. But this triune structure is also important um, because it helps us um, kind of to identify and articulate the function of each person of the Godhead. We tend to generally say God, you know, whether we're talking about Jesus or the Holy Spirit, and that's fine, which is fine. Um, it's all God. Or we say Jesus when we're speaking of God in general, and that's fine. Um, but in the creed, um, the function of each uh, is more specifically articulated for our benefit. Um, and this list of things that kind of follow the Holy Spirit in the creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit... The Holy Catholic Church, lowercase c, we talked about that last week. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. These are not separate things to believe. This is not the honorable mention list. So it's not like you believe in the Father, you believe in the Son, then you believe in all this other little stuff. That's not how this works. Just like um, to believe in Jesus is to believe He was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under the Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and so forth. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. And this is important because you can't just say you believe in Jesus and then pull some of that stuff out if you want to. You can't just say, well, I totally believe in Jesus, great moral teacher. I just don't really believe He's the Son of God. Well, then you don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. You're believing in a whole different Jesus. And that's not the same thing at all. You can't say, I believe in Jesus. He's, you know, he's, a, he's a great example. I just don't believe He rose from the dead. Well, then that's not the same thing at all. That's totally different. That's a totally different Jesus. You can't say, I believe in Jesus, I just don't believe that there's going to be a final judgment, that he's coming to judge and live in the dead. Well, then you don't really believe in Jesus. Like, to believe in Jesus, to believe in the Jesus of the Bible, is to believe that list that follows Jesus. Jesus, that we're called to believe in, is the Jesus outlined in the Creed. He's the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried, descended to the dead, rose and uh, ascend to the Father, and He'll come again to Jerusalem. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. Likewise, the Holy Spirit, as outlined in the you know the Godhead, uh, is, is described by these key attributes. The church, the community of saints, forgiveness, resurrection, and eternal life. These are the absolute function of the Holy Spirit. That breath of God that dwells in God's people. And we're going to unpack this a little bit this morning first the church the entire church the creed uses the word catholic church we talked about that last week that doesn't mean roman catholic church the word catholic just means universal that means the the whole church the the entire you, you know uh entity of the church um there's this common saying you guys ever heard this i believe in god i just don't really believe in organized religion have you ever heard that say a pretty pretty big one um There's a logic flaw um, in that statement. The God we claim to believe in as kind of Judeo-Christians, we only believe in because He's revealed in Scripture. right? The Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God that we believe in as Christians, um, we only know because He's revealed to us in Scripture. So if there's no Bible, there's no God that you claim to believe in. Um, If there's no Bible, there's no Jesus to admire, emulate, bow down to. You only know what we know of God because the Bible reveals it to us. And there would be no Bible if God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, hadn't used real humans like you and me, filling them up and inspiring them to write it down. The Bible didn't just fall from the sky. There are some religions that kind of believe that. You know, this magical presentation of a of a book. And they get a little creepy, honestly. But that's not the way we are. Listen to this. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and make us um, <coughs> realize what is wrong with our lives. It corrects us uh, when we do wrong, when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people for every good work. All Scripture is inspired by God. In the Greek translation, that says, God-breathed. that sound familiar? All in Scripture is God-breathed. To believe in God is to believe that He can take a group of ordinary humans, like us, through the Holy Spirit and use them to do divine things, like right Scripture. And you might say, well, I don't believe, you know, the Bible's accurate, inspired or anything. To which I would ask "Then exactly what God do you believe in and how do you know anything about Him? Like, did you just make up a God and say, that's the one I believe in? The bottom line is, if there's no church, if there's no people of God filled by the Spirit of God to do God things, then there's no Bible. And if there's no Bible, there's no belief in God or Jesus. You cannot say you believe in God and don't believe in the church. Because you would have no revelation of God if not for the church. God took real human people, filled them with His Spirit to do divine things, and that's how we know about God, And that's how we have a revelation of Jesus that we can say, yes, that's the Jesus I believe in. That one right there. To truly believe in Jesus is to believe what the Bible says. And to believe what the Bible says is to believe in the people of God who wrote it, otherwise known as the church. And to believe in the church is to believe in the Holy Spirit who fills the church with the power and presence of God. So to believe in the Holy Spirit, to credo the Holy Spirit means you believe in the church. The temple of the Holy Spirit. To believe in the God of the creed is to hook your wagon to the church. Like it or not. Whether we mess up or not. Whether it's got people that annoy you or not. To say you believe in the God of the creed is to hook your wagon to the church. But, if you're one of those people who can get behind the the idea of church and that principle, like you can believe in God, that God uses people... Pull the Holy Spirit to write the Bible. You might even believe that the church does some pretty good things in the world, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go to church on a regular basis. Like, if the Holy Spirit's in me, then the church goes wherever I go. I don't really need to get together. In fact, we talked about that old complaint I believe in God, it's not organized. How about this one? Who's heard this one? If God is everywhere, even inside us, why do I need to go to church? Anybody ever heard that? Or maybe, like, I can worship God just as well out hiking or going playing golf as I can in church. Anybody heard that one? Then this next one. Um, answers that. Uh, this, this is, if that's you, this is for you. The communion of the saints. This is really powerful. The church is the entity. A, a concept, maybe uh, even an organization or a force on the earth. You know, they, they say you can't go to church because you are the church. Well, you aren't really the church. We are the church. The church is a plural word altogether. Like, it, it's, it's not any single individual. The church is the whole thing. It's the grand understanding of what it means to be the people of God. A huge unified body of believers that transcends space and time. Paul is part of the church. Peter is part of the church. You and I are part of the church. The church is the whole thing. The entire body of Christ. And according to what Jesus told Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Individual churches fail all the time. A million things can bring an individual church down, but the church will never fail. The gates of hell will never prevail against it. So when we say that that the Holy Spirit is the origin and power of the church, that's what we're talking about—the church. The saint, on the other hand, is different. The saint is the individual. So you are part of the church, but you are the saint. That's different, okay? And of course, it doesn't um, say uh, just believing in the Holy Spirit means you know believing in the saint. It says the communion of saints. To believe in the Holy Spirit is to believe in the communion. That word communion is, is kind of popular in the Greek as koinonia. We hear that quite a bit. It means partnership, participation, benefaction. Most often translated in English today as fellowship, and I'm not super fond of that word because we've kind of made that word like a party night or a game night. Like, you, you, you have a Bible study and then we have a fellowship night. You know, it just kind of means to, to hang out together and, and chat. So we do church and and then we do fellowship, like they're separate. Except koinonia is probably better defined as doing life together. Participation in one another's life and world. Partnership in one another's life and world. That's the Greek word. Partnership. Participation. Benefaction. To give a gift. To give of yourself to someone else. So when the creed says, I believe the Holy Spirit, um, believing in the Holy Spirit means... Uh, believing in, in the in the church proper but also the 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 koinonia of the saints doing life together with the saints it's saying that part of believing in the triune God of the Bible is to believe in the church. So yes, the, the things we do on Sunday morning is important. And we and we we need it. The world needs us to be here on Sunday morning, holding up a defense against the crazy narcissistic wave of insanity that's like swept through our culture. But more than that, the creed says we need to be in each other's lives. We believe there's something different about doing life with one another. A couple of weeks ago, we had some folks that sat right up here. They're basically part of a house church and they're kind of traveling from church to church and just getting to know people, making connections and, and joining together in prayer. <coughs> and they visited OTCC and I chatted with one of the people after church and he and I hit it off and, and, uh, we agreed, um, on several things and it was, and we were just encouraged by, um, by what God was doing in our lives and what we, what we were praying that God would do. And, and, uh, it was a really encouraging, albeit short time of fellowship. And, uh, and we exchanged numbers and as we were leaving, I said, I love you, brother. And, and he left. And my daughter Rebecca heard that and once he was out of earshot was like, what was that? I was like, what do you mean? He was like, you just told that guy you love him. You've known him for like 10 minutes. And, and I realized that the bond we'd formed in like five minutes, ten minutes of talking, um, just talking about what God had done in our lives and what He was doing in our lives, those few minutes created a connection that defies nature. I, I did love Him. Like, I, I do love Him. Like, I love somebody that's on the same path and, and you can see the Spirit of God moving in their life. And, that's, and it's amazing how fast that connection can happen. Because I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the communion of saints. I believe that there's something that connects us that's ineffable. It's 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 amazing. It's more than just hanging out together. It's more than just a fellowship night. Those are awesome. I'm not dogging those. I love like hanging out and playing games with with fellow believers. But if you, if I believe that the Holy Spirit lives in me because of my faith in Jesus Christ, and that He lives in you because of your faith in Jesus Christ, when we get together, we should click. There should be something different. When you hang out with another believer, you guys ever get that almost like, it's almost like cheesy. Like cheesy. Like it, it makes me cringe and makes me feel warm all at the same time. When like you see a, like a pro athlete or something run a touchdown and point to God, and you're like, oh, he's a believer. Like, like you get that weird and you just feel better. Like, it, like you feel a weird connection even though, and or you hear, you know, you may have ever heard Chris Pratt do that nine rules for life. If you haven't, look it up. Like, it's amazing. And, like, been a huge Chris Pratt fan ever since. Like, he's a Christian. I love him. Like, blah, blah, Like, there's something about it. There's something about koinonia. When the when the spirit in me connects with the spirit in you and, and we're just closer because of it. Anyway, the earliest church, upon being filled with the Holy Spirit, sold things to take care of one another. Met on a regular basis on top of eating meals together and just doing life together. And they started using familial language almost immediately, like brother and sister. They started talking like family, not just like, you know, and a lot of them didn't even speak the same language. When you read about Peter coming out of the book of Acts, they were all speaking different languages from all over the place. And these people who could barely talk to one another sold things to take care of each other. Like there's a connection in the spirit that's different. Now, I'm not saying we don't sometimes drive each other nuts, we don't get mad at each other or occasionally just kind of get overpeopled and need some time away. I'm not, you know, like all that is still, is still there. Um, but if you don't feel bonded to other believers in a way that's just different, I think you need to pray that the Holy Spirit fill you up. If you don't experience Koinonia, where you just know these are my people and, and I feel a connection I can't quite explain, um, then you need to pray that the Holy Spirit come and fill you. Um and for the sake of time, I'm going to take these last three and kind of treat them like one. Um, and of course, each of these deserves a series. Uh, the forgiveness of sins, resurrection, and life um, eternal. Um, they, they deserve a series in and of themselves. Can you guys hear the dog barking? They've been building a dog house downstairs as part of their children's church series. Um, like, And they're doing it like building your faith one element at a time. So they're kind of using this building theme on how we build our faith. And today is move-in day. Like, so you don't just build your faith; you live it. You move into it. You, and we thought it'd be fun to bring the dog to the doghouse. And so, our my daughter's puppy is here. So, if you hear barking, that's what that is. Um, it's not one of your kids, so don't <laughs> freak out. Um, ah, <laughs> uh, all kinds of really wonky revival stuff just popped up in my head. Um, now, of course, each of <laughs> some of you know. Um, each of these deserves a series of their own, and we could spend a lot of time, but um, and we're going to get to throughout the year. Uh, but today we're just going to uh, treat them uh, as as a whole and call this salvation. This is what it means to be saved. It means the forgiveness of sins, um, the resurrection, and eternal life. And the Holy Spirit is the is the agent and the earnest of our personal salvation. It's it, the Holy Spirit is the one that negotiates and navigates and fills us when we're saved um and what i really love about this is the order that the creed is in because the creed puts the church proper first the connection and koinonia be, uh, between believers second and personal salvation third um and uh and so think back on these two statements that we heard. I believe in, in Jesus, but just not the church, or I can worship God just as well by myself as, as I can, you know, with a bunch of people in church. We've kind of made our own personal salvation the foremost focus and purpose of what it means to be a Christian. And we've just kind of tacked on church and other believers as kind of an op, an optional thing if we're so inclined. For those who are so inclined to do church and, and fellowship, with other believers is kind of optional. And the creed doesn't put it that way. The creed says, you know, uh, basically to believe in the Holy spirit is to believe in the church and to believe in the church is to believe um, that believers belong together, doing life together. Um, and the way that that bond is possible is because you're both saved because of the forgiveness of sins um, and, and life everlasting. That's that whole story goes together you can't just like you can't pull pieces out of Jesus and go, I believe in Jesus, just not this piece. Well, then you don't believe in Jesus. You can't do that with the Holy Spirit either. You can't go, I totally believe in the Holy Spirit. i just not really into the whole church thing. No, no, no. That's what it means to believe in the Holy Spirit. You don't believe in the Holy Spirit. If you don't believe in church, you don't believe in the Holy Spirit. If you don't believe there's a connection between believers and that we're supposed to do life together, that's what it means to believe in the Holy Spirit. To claim that you believe the same gospel as the early believers um, to the, the the very first ones to try to make sense of the Jesus story, those who most likely knew some of the writers of the of the New Testament, many of whom gave up their life because of their faith in Jesus, to claim that we believe in the same gospel that they believed in, is to believe that 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 not only is the Holy Spirit God, just as much God as Jesus and the Father, but it's also to believe in the function of the Holy Spirit on the earth. To fill and empower the church, to connect believers to one another, and to save sinners—that's what the Holy Spirit does. And you cannot believe in the Holy Spirit if you don't believe those things. That's what it means to believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason this has been such an amazing study this week, um, as we've kind of watched revivals pop up um, in several Christian colleges all over the country, um, is because I've, I've been, uh, as I've been listening to testimonies of some of the students and professors at the schools. Um, I've heard Article 3 of the creed being played out all over the country. We have this tendency to associate the work of the Holy Spirit with healings and miracles and speaking in tongues and all the dramatic charismatic displays of the kind of Pentecostal type churches. And I'm I'm not saying any of that's bad. Um, But what I've been hearing going on at Asbury and Sanford, Lee University and Cedarville and and all the other ones is, is kids repenting of sin. There's kids just spontaneously repenting of sin. <laughs> and feeling connected to each other and praying for each other. And just a spirit of encouragement and love. I heard more professors go, I don't know how to explain it. It's sweet. It's just a sweet thing. Like... I don't, I don't know what that word means, but like I want it. Like whenever they talk about manna, they're like it's a it's an oat thing that they ground, and it tastes like honey cakes. I'm always like, what the heck does a honey cake taste like? That sounds awesome. I want a honey cake. I don't even know what that. I don't even. It's like that when they're like, I don't know, it's just like a sweet spirit. I'm like, oh man, that's what I want. I don't know what that feels like, but I want that. I've heard stories of of simplicity and worship. One professor said he saw two athletes who were both under. Um, disciplinary action for getting in a fight and they were hugging each other and praying for one another. Shoot. Uh, yeah, right? What a loser. Ah. And above all else, Jesus is being magnified. Both in the hearts of these kids and now all over the world as people are, are watching this take place. People are realizing what's happening. As more people flock to see what's going on, it's changing. All the professors admitted that. Every one of them said, you know, it, it's taken on a different look now that the professionals move in. But it feels like all week I've watched the creed in action in college campuses. I've watched that list, forgiveness of sins, people getting saved, people getting connected, people, people noticing there's something different. I feel like all week I've 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 seen these words, and, and I've I spent all week going, yes, exactly. That's what we credo. That's what we believe. That that's happening right there. That is what it, the the God that I believe in. Now, confession time. Um, I would love to see a revival break out here at OTCC in Wellsville or Mid American Nazarene or Baker. I don't care where. Just we need it. A crazy, radical, charismatic. Revivalist, you know that's that's me at my heart. At my heart, I'm a I'm a nut. Like I'm a radical, charismatic nut. I'd love to see God just crash in like the day of Pentecost. Many of you um, might not believe that about me because I I don't push that kind of thing. But I'd love to see God break out open, you know, upper room style with just the mighty rushing winds and the tongues of fire and the whole thing. I want the whole thing. But I also know this. There's something powerful about faithfulness. I believe there's something to be said about a walk with Jesus that is faithful. Faithful to Jesus. Faithful to come to church, whether you're in the mood to or not, um, just because you know it's the right thing to do. Faithful to work hard and provide for your family um, and, and to influence your co-workers and industries for Jesus. Faithful to our families as we stand as testimonies to the world of what the power of a of family that, that believes in Jesus can be. Um, faithful to, to keep serving Jesus day in and day out for the long haul. There's something to be said for faithfulness. And I think the real miracle is faithfulness. It doesn't have to have fireworks or all the tingly feels to be real. Uh, and, and, and the long haul, I think there's, there's something truly powerful about faithfulness. Um, and I think we have a part to play in faithfulness. We can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, aspire to faithfulness. Work for faithfulness. Build one day at a time faithfulness into our lives. Revival, all the fireworks and fields, that has to be an act of God. And this is why I I, I don't always look like a crazy, radical, charismatic revivalist. Because I believe faithfulness is our part. Revival is God's part. I so desperately want to see God move in crazy, miraculous ways, and yet I refuse to accept anything that's fake. What I mean by this is I, I never want to to leave an experience with God, something big and dramatic happens and have to wonder if I manipulated that. I won't do that. I want God to move, but I want God to move. Honestly, it's the same reason I don't employ any of the kind of tried and true methods for growing a church. They're out there and they do work. But I don't trust that I would feel like it's God working. If I followed a step-by-step marketing strategy to get there, and I don't fault churches that do. A lot of them grow, and they do amazing things when they do grow. I'd like, and 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 more power to them. It's it's great. They often do great things. But I want to know it's God moving. There's a trend when revivals break out, the way they have for the past couple of weeks, where people flock to the revival to see um, to get what's called an impartation. I don't know if you ever heard that word an impartation of power from the revival so they can go back to their home church and maybe make the same thing happen there. In fact, there are schools you can go to. Pay a fairly high tuition and, and learn how to kind of cause the kind of revival, how to, how to do revival in your church. And my problem with that is the story in the book of Acts that terrifies me. I'm, I'm terrified of this story. We talked last week about how the first Samaritans got saved The church sent Peter and James to see if it was real. They didn't. They didn't. um, They weren't expecting Samaritans to get saved. They weren't ready for it, so they, they followed the Holy Spirit up there. Let's go see if this is real. They prayed that the new believers would receive the Holy Spirit, and they did. And the next piece of that story reads like this: Then Peter and John laid their hands upon the believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps He will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive to sin. Two things. First, Peter had to be a blast at parties. I mean, this... (laughs) Man, this guy was chipper and fun. Now, second, I don't know that people who go to revivals or ministry training schools hoping to gain the ability to do the same things, uh, I don't know that they're in the same place as Simon. I can't judge anyone's heart. Um, but if we're honest, Simon, Simon's words here, let me have this power, he exclaims, so that I may lay my hands on people and receive the Holy Spirit. Um, that doesn't really sound that awful, does it? It's not like, it doesn't sound like he's a bad guy. That's not like he's, he wants anything bad. I mean, I've probably prayed almost those exact words at some point. But to pay money, even in the form of, tu- of tuition, while also basically saying those exact words, is too close for comfort for me. That's just too spooky. Because somehow Peter saw through the words, and saw through the whole thing, and realized that Simon didn't want to follow the Holy Spirit's lead. He wanted to control it. You want to manipulate it. And that's what I'm most afraid of. So I'll be honest. I want revival. I want our kids to get swept up in worship so deep that they don't want to leave. And I have to be faced with that tension of whether or not I make them come home and eat lunch or just let them stay in worship. I want to wrestle with that tension. I want to, I want to have to figure out what that's like. Do I make my kids do school or do I let them stay in worship? Like, I want to have to make those decisions and and to struggle with that and pray to God, like, how do I make this call, God? I don't know what to do. That would be a great problem to have. I want to see that. I want to see people spontaneously confessing sin and receiving the forgiveness of Jesus. I want to see people born again all over the place. I want to see our culture turned around. I mean, think about this. The last time God felt like this on college students was in 1970. And it started at Asbury again. Like there was a big revival in Asbury uh, in 1970. You want to hear the creepiest part? It started on the Wednesday before the first time the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. <laughs> this one started on the Wednesday before the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. I don't know what's with the Chiefs, but God's team. Um, but that movement in the 70s, the, the Chuck Smith and the Jesus people and and the Asbury Revival and all that stuff that happened in college kids in the 70s, all of that turned the culture. Think about the 60s and 70s and the way things were going, and how if you haven't looked at our world and thought, "Man, we haven't seen this since the 60s and 70s," like if you haven't seen the connection, I applaud the rock you live under. Like, well, like it's crazy. Our culture was plummeting, and God broke out in college kids and the the kind of revival, just say no, and the absence movement. Really, the the Not super fond of this, but the the whole religious right movement was born out of that. The kind of the cultural movement back toward morality was born out of that revival that happened in college kids and now it's happening again. And God, do we need it? You can go all the way back to the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening, you know, if you ever look at what society was like before the Great Awakening, it was, it was falling apart. And I read an interview that somebody that a news guy did with a. He went to a church to try and get an interview, and what he got was a prostitute. And he was asking questions, and 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 she was like, you know, he was like, "Why are you at church?" She was like, "Well, when everybody in town got saved, nobody came to the to the whorehouse anymore, and so we didn't have any money, so we came to the church for food, and they took us in, and we got saved, and so now we're at the church, like, like ended ended prostitution, shut down brothels." It ended like, do you guys know why bulldogs were bred? The little short squatty English bulldogs? To fight bulls. They would release like five bulldogs on bulls and then bet on who would win. And they, so they kept breeding them shorter and shorter because the bull would get its horn under them and gore them and blah blah. After the Great Awakening, they shut down all dog fighting in, in Britain. Like they just, this is ungodly and they, like, it, it had an impact. Like, they ended slavery. That was part of the Great Awakening. Like, it had an impact on culture that had nothing to do with with what's going on in church. When God moves like this, when God breaks out revival, it's not just so we can feel good and yay, Jesus. It's to change the world. Okay, we need revival. That's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But we need it to be God. We need it to be God-directed. No way manipulated by man. So here's what I invite you to do with me. And this isn't my response because I do kind of want to sum up this series before we close it out. But I ask you, I beg you to pray for a revival. Don't just hope for it, don't just say that would be awesome. Actually take time, set it aside and pray that God come and move so powerfully that it can it can change lives on the kind of scale that can turn a society. We need it. And it's happening. It's happened before in that same Holy Spirit that did it back then is still alive and moving today. Amen? So here's what we do. Here's our part. We stay faithful. We do what we know we can do. We do life together. Um, We stay in God's Word together. Uh, We worship together. We pray together. We we help each other in any ways we can. Um, We don't ever make revival happen. That's not our job. Our job is to be faithful. We don't fake it. Um, Our part is to live as faithfully as we can with Jesus and with each other. Like we, our job is to live faithful, but we can ask God to do what only He can do. We can beg God to do what only He can do. And if what God wants to do is just for us to live faithfully before Him while He rocks Asbury in Kentucky, then that's our part and that's fine. We thank God that we get to do our part. Like this isn't something we, we fake. We don't stop asking and seeking and knocking on heaven's door for revival though. That's what we do. Our kids need it. Wellsville needs it. Kansas City needs it. The internet needs it. Governments need it. So we stay faithful and we pray. And in my opinion, there's one more thing we can do. We repent. We repent. We own our brokenness and we stop pointing fingers at all the horrible people out there. We stop judging and condemning all the people whom we feel are at fault for the, for the condition our world is in today and we believe with all of our hearts that Second Chronicles 7.14 is still true. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and restore their land. So here's the deal. Lent starts on Wednesday. And Lent is a season where we face our own sinfulness, our own darkness, our own humanity, the broken world that we live in. And so I want to issue a challenge. I've never done this before. Normally we just kind of pick a fast together. But I want to issue a challenge, Open Table Community Church. For the 46 days of Lent, I'm asking you to fast criticism. Fast complaining about how horrible the world is. Fast pointing fingers and assigning blame for how awful things are. Instead, repent of your part. Own your part in it. Have you lived the light? Have you been the light you should have been in that darkness? Have you have you have you been spreading and shining hope and love and and grace the way you should have been? If not, then let's repent together. As I wrote this, I I I got on my phone and I started. (laughs) I sent out some apologies that I owed. Just it was like the Holy Spirit immediately started bringing things to my heart, like you know some of them from a couple years ago. I texted, "I'm so sorry, I did that. That was wrong of me." I think if we pray, God will give us things. 46 days of repentance and prayer for revival. And as, and as we pray, don't point the finger out there. It's not their fault. We own it. We repent of it. And we pray that God come and heal our land. And while we do, we continue in faithfulness. We continue in fidelity to Jesus and to each other. Amen. So how do we respond to this? Before we close out this series, kind of a move into the wilderness of Lent, um, let me say that the creed is not, let me say one more time I guess, the creed is not a list of things that we agree with. There are They are true facts, and of course believing that they're true facts is where it starts, but Satan believes in the historical accuracy of the creed. He knows these are real things. Agreeing with the facts doesn't change you. The word credo, the Latin word for commitment, is the word that, 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 that changes us. It changes everything. We believe that God is the Father, and, and all the, the love mixed with fear, mixed with admiration, mixed with pride, is perfectly appropriate for that relationship. That, that paternal relationship. He's also the creator of everything, which means He has a plan and a purpose for us. He has a calling on you and and He has the wisdom for your life. And the only logical thing to do is to align your life with that. To align your life with the One who made all things. We believe that Jesus uh, is God who sympathizes with our humanity because He became one of us. My daughter Eve asked me the other day how Jesus could live sinless in a broken world. We've talked so much about how, how hard it is to live in a world without sinning, you know, because it seems like everything you do hurts somebody somewhere, you know. And we're so connected now. And she was like, how did Jesus live and avoid all of that? And I told her, you know, you know, that, that, that Jesus didn't have to come. He could have lived in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit forever. He did not have to become human. He did that for someone else. The whole reason He was here was for us. Everything He did was for us. His death and resurrection was for others. Can you imagine living life with perfect motives? Like, everything we do has a little twist of selfishness in it. Like, can you imagine... The, like none of us chose to even be alive. And some of us kind of have resentment toward that. Like, I didn't pick this life. Jesus did. And He knew it was going to be rough. He knew what was going to happen. He said, they're worth it. I will do it. Like that changes everything. I'm not sure we can understand the importance of Jesus being fully God and fully man, but I know it changes everything. And the one thing that it, that it changes the most is the fact that His suffering, His death, His resurrection, ascension, and reign... Because of who he was, is sufficient to atone for our sins and save us when we put our faith in him, and that changes everything. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the very breath of God who 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 fills um, us. It's a, it's not just a fact to be acknowledged; it's a breath to be inhaled and experienced. And that changes everything. And that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, birthed the church, makes us family and ultimately saves us. Makes the salvation that Jesus bought by His death on the cross real in our lives. You can't credo the Father, Son and Holy Spirit without being changed. I believe that. And I'm not saying it's going to make you perfect or once you believe that, you know, everything will just fall into place. But it, it, it will change you. It has to change you. If we credo the Father and, and live our lives as though there's purpose and meaning and we credo the Son and realize we simply cannot, no matter how hard we work, earn our salvation, only by the saving work of Jesus on our behalf can we be saved. And we credo the Holy Spirit and recognize that we are filled with the power and presence of God every day That should change things. We should be different. So the way that I would love to respond to this message as we gather around the table is to deep in your heart, pray one word. One word. The final word of the creed. Amen. So be it. Yes, I agree. I'm all in. Deep in your heart. Believe. Credo.